0: Hi, this is Tamson Granger. And Dan Abuhoff. With Tanson and Dan, read the paper on Sunday, October 24th, 2021.
1: We, uh, not much going on this week, really. How about it's a week from Halloween, I just realized. Yeah, but, right. uh, we have no birthdays to report. We've got to get ourselves together for Halloween. Yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm still cleaning up. Yeah. I'm still packing up. It's the Swedish death cleanse in the
0: most lethal form. And um I just have one funny story. So uh, we're getting ready to have like a garage sale, get rid of stuff, right? We're going through everything, everything. Yeah. And just to show you the level of hoarding of my family, yeah. okay, yeah. Uh, or uh, reverence for the past, shall yeah. we say. No, it's hoarding. Uh, so uh, yeah. some friends are helping me go through uh, linens, like I have all these old linens and right. some people collect those and i said oh, i'll put them out for sale and so uh, uh one of them comes up with a couple of things they said well these are just really rags uh you, you can't uh, sell these we'll put these i said fine we'll put them in the discard pile and so i go to look at them and and they are you can see i'm holding one up for you it looks, looks pretty raggedy right rag it also looks it sort of looks like a tea towel but it's a little bit bigger. Yeah. You know, it's not especially thick. Yeah. Okay. And upon further inspection, I see a tag. And that tag says Frederick. Yeah. Okay. So you remember back in the day when we went to uh, school, when we went to college, when we went to camp, your mom would sew name tags right. on your clothing. Right. Okay. Frederick was my grandfather. Oh, God. So, so this is his towel, yeah. possibly from when he was, a, you know, a student uh, at uh, college, mm-hmm. or whatever, um, or maybe when he was first working and he's living in a boarding so house. So you're holding on to it. Is that
1: what's no, going No, it
0: just—it struck. It, it's funny that we still have my grandfather's it's sad. towel. Yeah, that right. would by now be 120 years old. Right. It's also funny no one would pay for it. Yeah. okay it's an antique and um, but also it's interesting because it's his towel for washing up right and so it made me think well when did people start using terry cloth cuz this is thin yeah. like a dish cloth right. all right and uh, so i looked it up and terry cloth as we know it yeah. with the little loops right. uh, that we use for most towels uh was invented in 1850 mm mm-hmm. Of course, it doesn't become, you know, common in common usage and high commercial production till later. Yeah. All right. My, my grandfather was born in 1884. Um, so eventually um, people would be using carry cloth towels. But this is an artifact. I, I'm not sure we can throw this away. I'm, I'm it's an sh-
1: artifact. I'm sure we can't. I'm, I'm sure you can't. This is my it's... problem. Do you feel my pain? Yes, it's a you problem. It's a, we're, we're sharing the problem. But uh, yeah, I can, I can see it.
0: Okay. It's awful.
1: Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so
0: here we go. Speaking of history, yeah. a lot of articles this week about docents, that is the tour guides uh, in museums. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, so specifically, there was a, a huge kerfuffle an having uproar. to do an uproar, an uproar having mm-hmm. to do with the uh, Art Institute of Chicago, mm-hmm. where recently the uh, director of education.
1: Yeah, whatever. That's right. The guy who runs Chicago's
0: Institute. No, it's, it's a gal. Whatever. It's Veronica a Stein, difference.
1: the Executive Director decision,
0: of yeah. Learning and Public Engagement yeah, right. for the museum's Women's Board, right. Women's Board, which supports education activities, sure. sent around a note sure, to all do. their volunteer and docents and, and said, you are fired. Yeah, well, fired she said all it all more docents. nicely. Yeah, not uh, much more She nicely. said, we have no more use for you. Yeah, really and, uh, nicely. They, and, and they fired and all, offered, all the docents. Offered, uh, you know, they said... Uh, we don't
1: need you anymore, but if you'd like to have a museum membership, we'll, we'll give you one or yeah, something like maybe that. maybe a free T-shirt. But the, uh-huh. the point is, and it's not three people. It's 100 people are thereabouts. close to 100 doses. So it, Great. It, it's a whole phalanx of people uh, who are the, the tour guides of the museum. And it was picked up by certain publications. I first noticed it in the journal, uh, and, and, and the times picked it up too, uh, as a story about basically um, reorganizing things at a museum so that they'd be more in touch with what people consider the social issues of the day, uh, and having a more diverse group of docents who might appeal to a more diverse group of future museum attendees. Although maybe that's not true, but that's the way the story was written. Okay. Right?
0: All right. Well, let's get a few things straight. Sure. Uh, so the um, the docents are volunteers. Yes. They tend to not be a diverse group, and they tend to be uh, people who can afford to volunteer their time. Right. Older white women. They're older white women. Yes. Okay. Um, now, they, I will say that I'm a big fan of tour guides. Mm-hmm. Okay, I believe in tour guides. And even if uh, you have a bad tour guide, lots of times you learn something. But let me tell you, there are a lot of bad docents out there. I'm um, sure there are. And uh, people often ask me... Now, you know, uh, even before I retired, would I like to become a Mm. tour guide at a museum? And uh, I would say absolutely not. I actually went to a training for uh, for, to be a tour guide uh, at a cemetery. We we Mm. know I'm a cemetery. Historical cemetery. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, tour guides are meant to be entertainers, Mm -hmm. really. The docents Mm -hmm. are entertainers. Right. And uh, many of them are quite knowledgeable. But also, uh, many of them are not really. Yeah. And, and many uh, of them are not. There's, there's,
1: I'm sure many of them are not entertaining either. Right.
0: Entertaining. Okay. So, it, it can be a problem. Yeah. All right. Now, the museums, yeah. the problem for the museums has been that because they are volunteers, right. they can't really control. Mm-hmm. Uh, the docents right and
1: uh, the docents they can't uh, actively manage them they right. can't come down on them too terribly hard right. because they're working for nothing and it's
0: not just a matter of misinformation it's, it's a matter of sometimes mistreatment
1: of patrons yeah, okay? is that really an issue or the mistreatment they may they, they, i my, my guess is the bigger problem is they're not on point or they're just not interesting well don't get me started
0: don't <laughs> get me started. You see mistreatment of patrons. I,
1: patrons. I am a museum
0: lover. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Have you seen mistreatment
1: of pa- patrons? Oh yes.
0: Are you serious? Oh yes. How can you mistreat because patrons? Because this is the way it works, Dan. Museums yeah. were once private collections. Yeah. Museums were invented by people to. Have a way to protect great art, but what, okay. But, and you want to protect great art from from the undeserving. Uh, yeah, Look so at I, how I, museum I, buildings were built. I, they were built as enormous, imposing buildings I, I, I that no that. normal person but, would dare to go but in. But how would you right?
1: manifest what so called mistreatment? What kind of mistreatment are you talking about? You know, there's an, a sense of exclusivity. I, there's don't a give sense, me sense of don't, you know. I don't want to hear a sense of. What kind of mistreatment? Well, you I, are you asking me for... Yeah. No, I
0: can't give you any okay. exact, I, I think precise examples. I, I doubt
1: that there's any... Oh, Daniel, uh, Daniel, I don't
0: think that's true at all. I have seen yeah. I have seen many situations yeah. where um, my students that I'm with yeah. are just not treated with tremendous respect. Okay, maybe. Okay, Maybe
1: I'll, I'll go with that, yes.
0: And so it is not at all hard for me to imagine... That when certain when people are giving mangining? tours,
1: what are they asking about your imaginings? I mean I, I, I get it. look, I, you opened my eyes. Look, on you don't, this you issue. don't go I, to museums, so but, what but do you I, know? But I look I am here's you actually educated me on this whole issue, which is the notion of I don't want to get hung up on mistreatment, but this whole notion that a lot of docents could be really poor uh, and you might, might have a really uh, ineffective, yeah ineffective or worse. And you have a docent quality issue. And what was interesting to me is that everybody ran with what I'll call the uh, systemic racism angle. And they did it because that's the way the, uh, uni- the museum actually gave the release. I mean, they highlighted the notion that uh, we want to be more representative of the community. And that is enough of a red flag to enough groups that people reacted strongly and negatively to that. Some positively, but many strongly and negatively. But what you opened my eyes is you said, look, the bigger issue is just the quality of the docents. And, and a volunteer group like that is destined not to have high quality. And it makes sense if you can replace them with paying people to have quality docents. And I'm saying to my I say to you, well, why don't they just say that? And you said, that's more sensitive. That would be a tougher sell to get out there and say, we're dropping all the doses because, frankly, we think they're probably not very good. And we're going to come in with paid people who will be better. And that, to me, is very interesting. No one seems to be covering that way. And you've persuaded me that you're probably right about that. Well, uh, uh,
0: what I've read about this letter, I haven't seen the letter from Victoria Stein, but it did encourage, allegedly it encouraged current volunteers. Right. To um, apply right. for the position, it also indicates there will be some kind of volunteer positions going on in the future, right okay but they clearly want to restructure the system so that they have some sort of uh,
1: you know control, Sometimes like control, quality control, quality Let's call it control, quality control, and active management, and higher quality staff. And yeah. I, I
0: and I don't think there's any great shame in aiming for more diversity I, I in this group. Well, look, there okay, a... uh, part of that is just pure marketing. Right. All right. In order for museums to survive, they need to attract a larger, a variety of demographics, right. uh, not just older white people. I have told you, if I go to a lecture at a museum, it's all. Old, white yeah. people. Okay. I've gone okay. to lectures with you at the museum.
1: And okay. the lectures are bad. Bad doesn't begin to describe <laughs> it. But it has nothing to do with race. No. It, it, well, it just it doesn't do with race. I mean, it appeals to nobody. It's not like it's... Right. It's, it's, you know, it appeals to other older white people. It appeals to nobody. Right. All right? Right. All right? So, but you have... So, I, I applaud the effort... Yeah. But ...to make
0: these... I... I ...these kinds of events me. and tours more
1: accessible to a larger group of people. But you've convinced or to me anybody. it's kind of like it's a PR nightmare. They either come out with a headline, we're doing this for the purpose of racial balance, and which they get pilloried the way they have, or they come out with a headline, we're doing it because you think the docents generally aren't very good, in which case they're going to be pilloried for being rough on the docents that way. And they, the cho- path of least resistance was the one they chose. Which and they, and it is in the article, but, you know,
0: the docents um, claiming, at least at uh, Chicago, Yeah, and I can't say this is true it can't be true. At other institutions I've visited, that uh, they go through extraordinary amount of training well, that's what they and said. constant retraining. Right, yeah, that's what they and, said. That's uh, what the article this says. This is in no way evident from many okay. um, well, tours. It's hard to I heard. but they said it was a big program. Uh, so, but I do think, um, you know, I I hate to see this whole uh, area of volunteerism disappear. But that's what you're going to see. Uh, because But isn't that what
1: you're going mean, to see? It, How do you avoid you know, that?
0: These these women, I mean, they're trying to do a good thing.
1: Yeah. So, uh, but 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 aren't you? Isn't that the cost of uh, you know doing business here? Isn't that where you're going?
0: I I guess so.
1: If you actually end up with
0: uh, better programming, a better well, tours. One to know something
1: between right. you and me? I'm highly su- suspicious that they're going to get anything better. I doubt they're going to pay that much. Uh, I doubt they're going to invest that much into the program. And uh, the they're, they're probably the docent class will suffer from the same issues that you see or present in the present docent class. That's my prediction. Okay? That's what I think is going to happen. And what's happening economically is they're saying, we want to bring people in who can't do it for nothing and can only do it if they're paid a salary. And that will give us a more balanced group. That may be. But there's no guarantee there or any indication that you're going to end up with higher quality people that way. Probably the same.
0: Yeah, so it's... Uh
1: and you do have the issue. It's a conundrum. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, but a, I, I, think, uh, I think... I think they had no easy way to do this. There, It is a conundrum. I don't know all their motivations. But uh, if there's a right way to do it, they didn't find it. That's for darn sure.
0: But I, I do stick by my statement that the museums originated with the idea of being for the wealthy white well, crowd. That may be, but and the question they, is where and that takes they have got it. to figure out how to get around that. Now, museums are doing it a variety yeah. of ways. Okay, don't, don't just give me a minute here, yeah. all right? Uh, out in Denver, yeah. they've just uh, done a huge yeah. uh, renovation of one of their main buildings. The building's been closed for two years. Right. And uh, they've tried to incorporate um, more uh, contemporary art, folding into the ancient art, making it relate in some ways. They're trying to have quite a bit of uh, interactive mm-hmm. uh, exhibitions which are often silliness yeah because it, it, if you have interactive stuff for instance at the Met it's ridiculous there's so many people there nobody can interact right, right? it's uh, it's craziness uh, so that you know the jury is out there they're trying to broaden the appeal having more fashion uh, in in as uh, as art okay. design as art etc um so we'll see how that works there at there it seems that denver's focus has been less on the um you know personal lecture aspect and more on the exhibition aspect mm-hmm. okay. uh, but it, it does uh, it does sound uh quite jazzola maybe we should go out there brand new welcome center which is really fun the the their older building yeah and it was designed in the '70s by Gio Ponti, and it's big and it has few windows because that's what museums want. You don't want any natural light that destroys the art, right. okay? But that's you know doesn't make for a fun building or a nice building. Right. It's just a lot of big dark rooms. Um, so they've uh, lightened it up a bit, put in some skylights, put in a rooftop. Uh, terrace area you can look out over the mountains and and a fabulous the welcome center is kind of fun uh it's glass and it's got these concave panels on the outside so it looks like a big chunk of a good old uh column
1: uh from uh ancient greece look i can understand some of the things you mentioned could make it more interesting to younger people i will say what's to me the paradox is that modern art, whereas modern music is more interesting to younger people uh, than older music is to younger people. I don't think that's true about modern art. I think modern art is in many ways less accessible than traditional art because it's probably easier to grasp the quality of a portrait or something like that than it is to grasp a lot of modern art. I I think you're right there. I think you're right there. Although
0: I will tell you from my teaching days, um, students signed up for Modern Art, the History of Modern Art first. You know why? Why? They had no idea what it was <laughs> anyway yeah. um just to um, give you a little taste of uh, um, tour guide ism yeah uh, there's an there's a new show opening up at the Tate Britain in London yeah. uh, oh I should have told uh, my buddy Linda who is going over uh, yeah. to uh, England and it's uh, on uh, William Hogarth. Now you know William Hogarth because your mother bought you that engraving. He he um, did mostly engravings. He was a satirist, uh, and he it's that scene, that court ruins scene, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you okay, know. Right. Um, and uh, anyway, it's let's see, what is it called? I think it's called. Um, it's all I mean? right. It doesn't make a it difference. It's, it's cool. about um, Hogarth and England and yeah. the influences. Not Hogarth and Europe, yeah. sorry. Um, it's inf- European influences on his very British work. Yeah. And uh, they show an example. He's famous for these series of engravings that will tell a story. And they're, you know uh, there's political satires, social satires, uh, etc. and so forth. One of his f- most famous series is Marriage a la Mode. And I think it would be quite popular today because it really makes fun of a rich young couple mm-hmm. and uh, how you know, their marriage is going down the toilet, how they squander their money, etc. And uh, they show in the um, Wall Street Journal the picture, a picture of tete-a-tete. Uh, tete. It's a breakfast scene. And you see the husband and wife were sprawling around looking a little hungover. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's another man in the picture, and he's the steward or butler, I guess. This is a wealthy person's home. These these are ridiculously ostentatious, ostentatiously wealthy young couple who are dressed ridiculously. Who their decor is ridiculous. They're sprawling there um, after a um, kind of uh, really, um, shall we say, um, you know, uh, over the top evening all right uh, the man is wearing his going out clothes and he's just come home the clock says twelve twenty, so it's lunchtime he's coming home at lunchtime mm-hmm. from a night out his dog is sniffing at a little um, piece of cloth in his pocket which seems to be a perfect perhaps a perfumed nightcap maybe from uh, the house of ill repute that he's been visiting, you know, and his wife is stretching there next to the um, man is a broken sword. Hmm. Well, you know what that means? No impotence. Really? Yes. Symbolic of impotence Uh, and so on and so forth. And and, you know, it just uh, uh, is uh, a sort of hilarious scene from the 1740s. It's, it becomes more and more funny and accessible as you understand all the symbolism, and you need a docent for that. Oh, I mean, I mean, uh, I apologize. I think you need a and, You yeah. need a visual on this podcast. Right. Uh, so sorry about that. But um, would anybody, would anybody from the twenty-first century be interested in looking at that? Who's under the age of? I'm say, not. 30? I'm not
1: terribly interested in it. I'm. Uh... Not You're, young. Yeah, well, your problem is you want to go ahead and talk about baseball. So no, no, that's not, that's not it. That's not it. Mm, mm. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to talk about baseball here. There's a headline in the Times. Here's one. Here's a, here's a, here's a real news flash. Quote, to get ahead at work, it helps to actually be at work. This is a headline on the first page of the business section, today's Sunday Times. And they say for one group of young lawyers, return to office, in quotes, means emotional and professional connections. Well, it turns out, who knew, that uh, when uh, people are allowed to come back to work, and that's beginning, of course, now, that uh, a lot of, I'll talk about law firms specifically because that's my background, but I think it's a lot of other professions. A lot of young people are coming in with the hope and expectation that being at work, and being able to work with older people who actually will have a lot to say about their careers and how successful they are is a huge plus. And they are going—they are going to take advantage of it and come to work uh, as much as they so possibly can. Who, who wrote can. that article? An older white man. I don't know who wrote. No, it's probably the normal New York Times twenty-three-year-old reporter. And uh, okay. look, look—it's
0: no surprise that you would endorse
1: you know, being on the no, job. No, I'm not telling you. No, no, it's nothing to me endorsing anything. I don't care. Mm, but what mm. I'm saying is, and what I've told you before is this, they keep, people keep saying, what are the rules, what are the requirements going to be? What are the law firms going to say about how often people have to come to work? And I've been telling you consistently, like, it doesn't make any difference. It's a culture in which young people either succeed or they don't uh, by getting the right kind of experience, by developing their talents and being recognized uh, and seen by the partners to make the decisions, but who will be the partners in the future. Those people all realize that their careers depend on their being at the office. So it doesn't make a difference what the requirements are. Those folks are going to go to work as much as they possibly can. Because the one thing that's hard to do is develop relationships on It's not the one remotely. thing. It's one thing. There are other things too. Yeah, but uh, look, they uh, the article really, here. The article you know, here. They 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 actually. It's going to depend on people, you know, recommending you well, for it, advancement. It, yeah, it, it, people it, need to know you. People know. You. So they have an article about this young woman who, when they first, uh, you know, apparently this, the reporter Noam Schreiber visited this law firm a couple times and thought, got the impression. Oh, he read some poll that said millennial millennials weren't interested in coming back to work, and he sees this young woman, and he finally. Gets a chance to talk to her, and he says, he says well, you, what are you doing here? I know they really just started letting people back in. You don't look terribly happy being back to work. And she says, no, on the contrary. I mean, I'm here. I've been here for a week or two, and I come in every single day. And you know why? Because when people, are, the older people, the people who are partners or whatever, are walking around, and they need something to be done, and they need someone to project, they see me and they say, are you busy? And I get all the projects. Okay. okay? And uh, so the only person uh, who apparently didn't realize that they get ahead at work it helps actually to be actually be at work is the reporter who wrote this article. But uh, obvious, you're right. Obvious. All right,
0: just a um, little quick thing. Gabrielle Hamilton, uh, you know, did uh, her um, occasional yeah. article in. Um, the Eat section of the New York Times Magazine, Sunday yeah. Magazine, and uh, she waxes nostalgic about eating fried oysters. And uh, so uh, I have to agree with her there. Well,
1: you see, that's a funny thing. So we eat raw oysters fried. a lot. And once in a while, I know you order fried oysters. At once in oyster. a while?
0: When I see fried oysters, I order them. Really? Yeah. Even at the, even I if love the fried oysters. oysters. I if love have... raw
1: oysters. I love so fried oysters. So which do you prefer?
0: I, it's not an either-or situation. So what's the
1: restaurant that you order fried oysters that I've seen you order fried oysters at regularly? I can't remember. Now. I don't even know.
0: I, okay. I would just say anywhere. Really? Uh, because, and, and so she has a recipe here. She says they're really best if you fry them yourself. Well, yes, Gabrielle, if you're, you know, a professional chef, I suppose that's true. I'm terrible at deep frying things. Yeah. Okay? Uh, Because uh, for so many years, deep frying was such a no-no that I've really never learned to do it. So I'm not the one to fry my own oysters. But if uh, anyone out there is interested in some good fried oysters, there's a nice recipe from Gabrielle on how to do it.
1: I can't remember what it was. There's nothing
0: to it. You. You coat them, right. you shuck them. Well, maybe that's the hard part. You you coat them in the breading and you throw them you in. You can the buy fresh.
1: shucked oysters at the supermarket.
0: They're not as fresh. Okay. They're not it's, as they're not as tasty. They
1: sell them in like plastic tubs, you know. I
0: I'm well aware of that. Yeah. It's not the same. Okay. And uh, and Gabrielle
1: even mentions that she says,
0: uh, you know, when you go to these you know, random roadside stands where they have uh, some 14-year-old, uh, you know, dipping the, frying the oysters in the back there. It's usually, it's you know, it's, it's commercially good. shucked. It's, you know, they're, they're coming in these big tubs. Right. And uh, it's not even close to the sort of exquisite delight right. one might have in freshly shucked, freshly
1: fried oysters. Yeah, I think in the city, but we've got it. But anyway, I don't remember. Okay, okay. So here there was something that uh, Granger, uh, our son, put me on to late last night as I was watching the end of the uh, baseball game. Uh was the Braves beat the Dodgers and moved on. And, um, and it's that the NBA just released its team of the top 75 players. Uh, and uh, it's interesting. I looked at the list, and the list is a reasonable list. They did it because it's their 75th anniversary, so that's how they picked 75. But here's the interesting thing about it. Number one, okay, the NBA didn't want to take on too much controversy. So they didn't rank the 75 players. It's, the list is in alphabetical order. And so when you look at it, the first name is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You, you go, uh, I don't know, maybe he uh, should be first. But in terms of it's in alphabetical order, fine, cool. But here's the interesting thing about it. They had a list that they did 25 years ago on their 50th anniversary yeah. of the top 50 players. Right. Makes sense so far. Every one of the players on the top 50 is included today in the top 75. Now, think about that for a second, okay? You might say, well, of course, because they're already anointed in the top 50, and they're going to still be there in the top 75. It's a broader list.
0: It's only 25 years, so there's a new player for each year.
1: Yeah, I know, but the way the game... People always talk about the game changing, how athletic people are, and it's true, all right? So you think... Well, I might say it's not obvious. I would if someone said to me, Do I think all the fifty who were put on the team in nineteen ninety five would, would stand up would stand up and still be on the list now, I would say I doubt that there's gonna be four or no. five people who have shuffled around and the answer is not at all. Not at all. They all made the list. Which kinda kinda surprised me. Surprised me enormously, honestly. Because you always hear about change in the way the game is So
0: now this is just the reinforcing the idea that uh, the ah. good old days, the players were players.
1: Ah. They were men. Well, no. It, 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 I think it maybe reinforces the idea that the people make the list have that rattling around in the back of their minds. Okay. No one asked me to get involved in the list. All right. So anyway, but it's, a, it's an interesting list. You'll probably want to look at it later and see if your favorite players are on there.
0: Probablement.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but fine uh probably yes. right right yeah, exactly
0: go. so uh just a couple more little art things i know i've overstayed my museum welcome at this point but uh um there's an un- unusual discovery uh it turns out uh there's a new uh, they found another ashil gorky another gorky painting has come to light and uh it um there's a pa- a watercolor on paper Called Untitled, parentheses Virginia Summer, painted in the forties, yeah. and it turns out it was lightly taped on top of an oil painting. Okay. Okay. Which is called the Limit, and recently it was recently discovered. It was a, It was actually um, due to the pandemic, because some conservators didn't have all that much to do. They say, hey, why don't we look at this? And uh, so they found another painting, which is fantastic. I think uh, I think his uh, heirs, his descendants, uh, own the painting, and it's going to be on exhibition at the Hauser. The, both paintings are going to be on a- exhibition at the Hauser and Worth Gallery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you know maybe they can uh, sell it for a bundle. And the uh, the advice um, from the conservators is you know take a look. Take a look, uh, you know, speaking to museums at the Gorkys you've got. Maybe there's a another one lurking behind. It's
1: good advice. Yeah,
0: doesn't cost much to find out, he says. But I, I think it probably does. And then uh, an article in the masterpiece section of uh, the Wall Street Journal about House of Cards. Uh, that is really a portrait of a young man, Lenoir, uh, by, uh, Chardin, uh-huh. Jean Alexandre Lenoir, by Chardin. Jean Simino. Chardin. And uh, it's, uh, it's a nice painting. We, we love Chardin. Uh, from, again, uh, right around the same period as Hogarth, but uh, in France, uh, not England, it's a painting of a young man uh, sitting there building a house of cards. And uh, nice discussion about, you know, what does it really mean? Is it just a genre scene? It's just a picture of everyday life, if we're supposed to delight in that. Um, uh, apparently, the, the um, kings of France, uh, what was it, Louis the uh, Louis XV, uh, collected Chardin uh, because, uh, you know, How do the simple folk live? It was so nice to think of, you know, the simplicity Mm. of a life of these people. And uh, so, you know, maybe that's part of it. Um, You you know, genre scenes are, you know, in in some ways, still in the 18th century, kind of a new-ish idea. Mm. You're used to religious paintings and narratives, you know, great stories and portraits, but uh, just little snapshots of life. That's you know relatively new thing, so there's that. There's also the um, writer of this article, Mary Tompkins Lewis, notices that there's tremendous detail in depicting the table that the young man is sitting at, and she notes that both his teacher and his father were actual were um, carpenters, cabinet workers. Um, so maybe uh, that comes through in the way he's so, it's, it's almost trompe l'oeil. The drawer seems to open out into our space on that table. And so that's kind of fascinating because the rest of the painting is relatively simple and flat and not so illusionistic. Uh, it's realistic, but not so illusionistic. And then uh, the third part is, what I like about Chardin is very often just uh, demonstrating the brevity of life. And the, the sort of the fragile nature of life, and you have a young man building a house of cards, mm-hmm. and uh, so that that house of cards is kind of symbolic of that, you know, fragility of life because right. it right, house of goes cards goes away, right. yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. So here's an article that kind of caught me by surprise. I didn't know about this kind of thing. Headline was a tiny Supreme Court typo had an outsized impact. And uh, the Supreme Court wrote an opinion in a case in uh, 1928 in which they said, and here's the quote, the right of the trustee to devote its land to any legitimate use is property within the protection of the Constitution. And that, that case uh, was considered in a you know, reasonably important precedent about the significance of property rights.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It turns out that was a mistake. turns out they made a mistake. What the judge meant to say was that the right of the trustee to devote his land to any legitimate use is properly within the protection of the Constitution. In other words, he didn't, expect, he didn't use the word property. He didn't mean to. He meant to say properly. Now, I don't want to drill down he on this. He
0: didn't say property. No, he,
1: he said probably. He's No, he said property mistakenly. Yeah. And he meant to say properly. So properly. The way the, the case has been interpreted is to sort of elevate property rights because the word property was used and it didn't mean to do that he made a mistake okay it's and typo they how do you know he made a mistake because they corrected it all right so when the original opinion came out it comes out of something called a slip opinion but what the judges used to do and this this technology was different then is they would later edit their opinions and look for mistakes yeah which they did And they changed it. The problem is it takes some time to do that. There were no rush to do that. And the Supreme Court practice was never to call attention to the fact that they were making changes. Right. Well, what happens is once you let the thing go, let the opinion go in a slip opinion or any form, there are all these research services that pick it up in its original form. Right. The result is it's in library files incorrectly because it has the original word. And it has, as a result, and they have the results here, it's been cited 15 or 20 times in court opinions with the original mistake. Okay.
0: 15 or 20 times? Yeah. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot. It
1: is a lot. Because when when you cite a Supreme Court opinion, you're doing it a fairly high court almost. Let me see. I can give you the exact number possibly. But, um... Uh, the, the, a consequence. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I mean, they say it has been. It's it's uh, 22 decisions. I mean, they say it's significant. Again, I'm not going to get into the legal argument here, uh, but they said that it's been cited for the proposition that you have a right to do on your property what whatever is reasonable. When in fact, the law really is that the government has the right to place reasonable restrictions on your use of property. It's a subtle difference, but it's a big difference. And yet, courts have gotten that wrong because they're citing the original opinion, which was written incorrectly. Hmm. So it is totally weird, I mean, when you think about it. Now, that doesn't happen anymore because now they, they are more careful about putting anything out there. Uh, they do their editing earlier, and in fact, they publicize if they're doing any editing and there were any mistakes and there have been a bunch mm-hmm. of situations where they yeah. may change it but they publicize it. Right. They didn't... Uh, so
0: when was this date? Dates from?
1: 1928. Oh, okay. Um, so there you go. I mean, they give an example of something that was already Neil Gorsuch that wrote something and they changed the word later uh, and it made a big difference but they pick up on it. Right. All right. So there you go.
0: So sometimes lawyers are wrong. No, no. Sometimes lawyers. judges are wrong.
1: Judges are wrong. Lawyers are never wrong. judges judges are often wrong alright so if
0: you're decorating yeah um, New York Times uh, has an article about uh, some artificial an artificial plant you might uh, be attracted to and that is artificial cannabis
1: yeah marijuana plant
0: I don't know why there's a whole article about But why this. would you
1: be attracted to that? I don't, I, you mentioned Well, the
0: company, a the company, the article is about it. Pot Plant, mm. an online store that just opened last year, sells artificial weed plants that are meant to be displayed in homes and businesses. And uh, they've sold a fair amount. It's not a huge amount. sold 8,000 plants. Um, Some of them for, you know, movie or TV sets. You can see that, right? Yeah. Uh, Somebody is shooting a scene of, uh, you know, somebody who's growing marijuana in their basement or somewhere. Okay. All right. Right? All right. I get that. Um, But they, well, they they seem to want to kind of try to... um, they feel that the, the marijuana plant has been demonized and that, uh, you know, it It would be a good thing to have, you know, have marijuana plants, you know, in houses so people can see their normal, you know, vegetable plants. But are
1: these real marijuana plants that they're selling? No, or they're, they... they're fake. Well, so... They're that, fake. That helps make it... And
0: uh, somebody said, you know, well, they're really, you know, they're really pretty good. They, they honestly look pretty real. I mean, <laughs> yes, you know... <laughs> I think they but why wouldn't you just get a real marijuana
1: plant and put it in your house?
0: Um because then you'd have to take care of it and it wouldn't always look good. Are these plastic but or something? I don't know what they're made of, Dan. They're probably not plastic. Have you ever seen fake plants? There's usually some kind of okay, combination of silk and fibers, yeah. Right. So um, Okay, so they're, yeah.
1: they're they're phony. But plants. I'm just
0: putting it out there. If you're flailing about trying to think of, you know, what cool plants might uh, brighten up Okay. your office all right
1: so all right Let's keep in mind uh so the uh the final thing we're going to talk about is baseball but baseball and technology Tamsin. it's not enough for me to bring to the table baseball because uh people you're like not, you you not really
0: talking about technology i, mean, I am yeah you, no you two are.
1: stories that tell both ends of it and you at the end will salute me for bringing technology firmly to the floor here the first has to do with a pitcher named garrett whitlock so garrett whitlock was uh, a pitcher in the New York Yankees minor league farm system, who hurt his elbow and had to have elbow surgery. Right. All right. Um, so what happened was um, he, w- he went through rehabilitation, serious rehabilitation. Question. And is, he
0: chronicled his rehabilitation. Yes.
1: The question was whether he would ever get back to being a usable pitcher. Right. And uh, the Red Sox actually took him in something called the Rule 5 draft, so they took him from the Yankees because the Yankees didn't protect him, perhaps expecting no one would bother to take from them a pitcher who had elbow surgery. Well, how did the Red Sox know to take him? As you say, because he chronicled his recovery from the elbow surgery on Instagram. It used to be that you couldn't know exactly what was going on with another team's players, particularly the minor league players. In this case, Boston knew about this guy because it picked up the Instagram account. So what happens is they take him, he sticks on the team, he has a tremendous year. As a matter of fact, he gets the final few outs in the Red Sox-Yankees series when the Red Sox knock the Yankees out, Garrett Whitlock. And the, and the manager says, quote, Alex Gore says, Instagram gets a shout-out. I'm glad that some of our scouts have Instagram and saw him throwing a bullpen. All right. So, so nobody else has Instagram? Changed. Well, my point is that it's not a matter of what the other teams knew. The question is the Yankees couldn't keep it secret.
0: And we're considering this technology?
1: Instagram is technology-oriented. social media. It's really, let me Social media is technology-oriented. Let me, right, technology I, oriented. You know, let oh, me give you yeah. a final thing, which will right. knock your socks off, okay? Right. There was an article in the journal. I know I handed it to you and you put it aside, but I don't need it. Uh, There's an article about uh, baseball is the perfect game. For the radio, and you, when I pull yes, that, talk about technology. You said to me, "Oh my God, that again!" Baseball on the radio, and you know I listen to baseball on the radio, and no other human being, you know, listens to baseball on the radio. And I think one of the reasons that there's kind of uh, when people say who listen to baseball again on the radio, just older people, the discussion takes a left turn because it becomes about. Well, in the old days, all we had is radio, and we made the best of it, and we enjoyed it, and uh, we don't need much stimulation because we're psychologically or intellectually superior. It's enough for us to be to hear an evocative description right, of a baseball okay. game. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's got not it, it. It. What it. it. What the article explains is that why, why baseball works on the radio is because...
0: You don't have to look at those guys with their terrible beards. No, it's not oh, that. Okay. It's, you're very close. Yeah,
1: It's that you can listen to the game while doing something else. When you're watching football, you're just sitting watching football. When you're watching basketball, you're enthralled you're watching basketball. But the game is slow. It's just guys talking. And you can be, you don't have to, as they say in the article, you don't have to give your whole afternoon to it. You can be out fixing the car as one does or, or doing a whole bunch of other things outside or inside with just the baseball game in the background. And what they're saying is, that is, fills a particular niche. That's a particular type of experience you're looking for. And that's why baseball's good on the radio. But I,
0: I, here's my problem. Yes. I fall asleep during baseball games.
1: Because you're not doing something else. You should be doing something else. Do you, But you fall asleep watching but baseball. But then it would be dangerous because I'd <laughs> fall asleep. My point is you you, you can drive. Your while you're like listening to a baseball game. You do all kinds of things, okay? That I beg to differ. You <laughs> cannot drive well, I while a, you're listening to I, baseball. I get a little wrapped up once in yes, a while. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> indeed you do. Right. And don't... Uh, many rough moments on the Belt Parkway well, okay. with you that's why I and the Mets. That's why
1: I don't do woodworking while I'm listening to the baseball okay. game. Or woodworking at all. <laughs> all it would be all dangerous. We got to go. All right. So that's it uh, this week. Next week, Halloween, get ready. You've got a whole week to get ready. You too, Tamsin. I'm working on that. Yes.
0: Uh, And so this is Tamsin Granger. And Dan Abuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan, reading the paper. As always, see you around.